Um, you, you know, t- this week we're, uh, I don't know what we're talking about. Um, what do you want to talk about <laughs> this week? I always wanted to do that sometime is like, um, pick your own sermon and I show up with nothing and you all just say, Hey, what about this? And I preach a whole sermon on it. Wouldn't that be fun? Um, that'd be fun for me. I could do that. Um, we could do that together sometime. Um, yeah, so not, that's not today. I do have something planned, but this morning I was thinking about, you know, I was thinking about this this problem of guns in America, and oh gosh, we certainly don't want to talk about that in church, especially in North Carolina, because like you know we're a gun culture, and I think we have to recognize we're a gun culture, and guns are have a a certain privilege in our society that um, a lot of people don't even have as as a society. Some guns as a place holder have more rights than a lot of people do in our nation. And I, I'm certainly not against guns in, in theory. Um, I like them. I've shot guns many times. It's really fun. Uh, and, but I think we have a, we have this like problem as a society and, and the problem is, is not, the problem is guns, but the problem is deeper than that. The problem is we can't talk about them. Like we have no capacity to have a conversation about guns in America, do we? And, and I think this goes deeper into like, um, and this goes into something I'm going to talk about today, is, is we don't know how to have conversations, hard conversations in America. We are not taught it. We are taught math and science. We, we are taught how to dissect frogs, which, you know, like, um, why? But we are taught to dissect frogs, and we have these experiences in elementary school and growing up. But nowhere along the line are we ever given any instruction, any training, any ideas of here's how you have a hard conversation about something that's difficult and emotional. And we can't do it, can we? And we see this all the time around everything that's a hard conversation. Like this, this, this person believes this, and this person believes this. We can't talk about it. Whatever it is, faith, politics, guns, sexuality, whatever it is, racism, we just can't do it because we don't know how. And I think this is a problem. This is our bigger problem as a society. We don't know how to have hard conversations because no one teaches us. We don't know how to have empathy for somebody else. We don't know how to listen to someone else's position that disagrees with us without us interjecting our own position because we feel threatened, right? When you hear somebody talk about something you don't agree with, what do you feel? You feel threatened. Why is that? Because we don't know how to talk about it and we don't know how to listen and we don't know how to really go through something that's difficult because what what happens is when we have a conversation that we're not equipped for and we know we're not equipped for. I've I've, I've had these conversations with people all the time and like I, I will say something that the person disagrees with or, you know, they will say something. And our egos inside of us know, like they, they get afraid because they know I'm not I'm not equipped for this conversation. I can't do it. And so whatever, what's our egos do? You know, like um, I, I have three kids and all along the line, they have thrown many tantrums when they don't get what they want, right? And they're just like, ah! Um, and you're like, you can cry there, man, but you're like, you're not getting it. Sorry. And like, that's what our brain is doing. That's what our ego is doing. When we are, when we engage in a conversation that we're not equipped for, our brain knows it. We might not consciously know it, but our brain knows it and our brain freaks out. And where does that come out as? It comes out as tears. It comes out as offense. It comes out as anger. It comes out as attack. 
And all of those are mechanisms to get you out of that conversation. All of them are mechanisms to protect you from having this hard, difficult conversation because deep down inside, your brain feels attacked. And so what you're doing is your fight-or-flight syndrome. You're like, I'm going to fight or I'm going to flight. And so that comes out. Obviously, you're not going to, like, fight somebody because of a conversation. I mean, maybe you would, but hopefully you won't. But that's what our brain is doing, fight or flight on these difficult, hard conversations. And I think fundamentally what we need to do is we need to begin to learn and to teach other people, here's how you have difficult conversations. Here's how you have hard conversations on things that you're fundamentally not going to agree with, that you built your whole life around, that you think that you thought from the very beginning of your life that this was the truth. And now you're understanding maybe there's another side to the story. Maybe there's another piece of this truth that you haven't thought about, previously thought about, but you're going to have to think about it. And we're going to have this conversation together. We need to learn how to do that, and we don't know how. So every time we begin to talk about guns in America, what happens? We fight. We fight. Well, and well, and well, and like we're not going to get anywhere because we built our ideologies around these deep spaces around like we built our ideologies around the constitution is more important than life. We built our ideologies around, around like this, this, our rights and our freedom are more important than someone else's rights and freedom. And like, I I believe, I, I fundamentally believe there's a solution to every problem. There's a solution to this that can work for many, many people that can both preserve rights and freedoms, but also prevent people from dying and being killed. Like, we can do that. There's solutions out there. We are literally sending people to Mars, okay? We can figure this out. We can figure this out. But we can't because we don't know how to have the conversation, right? So that um, leads into all of what I'm talking about today. Maybe, maybe not. We'll see. But anyway... You can just be edified from that conversation. <laughs> We're going to start in Genesis this morning. And uh, <laughs> you want to see my Bible? My Bible on this particular page is ripped and torn. This, this Bible's been through it uh, for sure. And I love this Bible. And I'm not getting a new one. And when I lose a chapter or a page, then, well, you know what? Then I just like, oh, well, okay. But um, I don't have all of this chapter. It's in at the bottom. So we'll get as far as we can go. Chapter 3, you've heard this story many, many times And I want to remind it to you today. Now, the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? No one said to the serpent, we may eat the fruit from the trees in the garden. But God did say you may not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden. You must not touch it or you will die. This is the story, the first story of human interaction with evil, with choice, This is a story that is handed down to us from centuries about why and how we got into this situation that we are in today, this situation of suffering. And you have heard it many times. It is Adam and Eve in the garden, and God told them, don't eat from this one particular fruit, but they did. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good from evil. When the woman saw the fruit of the tree was good for for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom. She took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who's with her and he ate it. So they did this together, y'all. Okay. Like sometimes like, like we're in this situation because women shut up. And like they, they were both there together. All right. They were, they were both there together. 
And probably the, the man said, hey, Eve, grab that. <laughs> Give me food. <laughs> She's like, I shouldn't do it. Do it. <laughs> I need food. <laughs> then the eyes of both of them were open, and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig tree leaves together and made coverings for themselves. The man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord as God was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called out to the man, Where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. Now, you've heard this story many times, and it's where we're going to start today. And the many, most of the times you hear that the original sin was them disobeying God, and maybe it rightfully is. Maybe they should have never eaten that fruit. But mm, I heard this the other day, that maybe that was not the fundamental problem that Adam and Eve faced because God knew, obviously, that that would happen. Because there was this fruit in the tree of the garden, and we've all had children. And once we tell them not to do something, we know what happens next. And so they, God, think, I think, knew here. But the fundamental problem I heard someone say recently was not that they ate the fruit of the garden. It was that they hid from God. That that was the fundamental problem. That they had a choice to make in that moment, that God was actually looking for them, pursuing them, seeking them out, because obviously God knew knew what had happened, but they made the decision to cover themselves up and to hide. And that process of covering themselves up, of, of, of cutting themselves off from God's view of hiding away from God, that that was the fundamental sin of humanity, and it was that that cut them off. It was not God that cut off humans from from interaction, but it was humans that cut off God from interaction. It was humans that felt shame around this thing that they had done, this guilt that they had done, and they stepped back. They covered themselves up. They avoided God, and they hid themselves from God's presence, from God's view, from God's love and it was actually that hiding that shrieking back that covering up of their selves from God that brought all the suffering that came into the world that we have now our fundamental problem is not that we make mistakes our fundamental problem is not that we disobey God because we are humans and that will happen the fundamental problem that we have and that we face is what do we do next what do we do next do we come and expose ourselves and say oh I mess up and I am wrong I am wrong I messed up I I need forgiveness or do we hide Do we internalize that guilt and it turns into shame and we feel terrible and we feel like we can never approach God again? Which do we do? And most of the time we do what Adam and Eve did, don't we? We hide. We cover ourselves up. We hide behind the tree. We hide behind our lives. We hide behind our work. We hide behind our busyness. We hide behind our identity that we have built on something else. We hide our lives from being transparent and open, and thus we hide ourselves from being transformed. We hide ourselves from being forgiven, from being set free. 
And so that leads us in this morning to the, the real chapter that I want to talk about over in John. We are in the season of resurrection. This is the Easter season, Easter tides, and we see the stories in John about the resurrection, the post-resurrection narrative. When Jesus was alive and resurrected, he was there for 40 days. He'd risen from the grave, and now he's appearing to the disciples, and every time the disciples are like, what is happening here? Because you would be the same way, right? We watched you die, and now you're not dead, and we don't understand what's going on here. We have no idea how to process this. But you remember the story, right? When Jesus was being crucified, when being on trial, that we know the story. It's a very popular story. We see it in Scripture that that Peter, when Peter was asked by someone, Peter denied Jesus three times, right? In that night of when Jesus was on trial, right before he was being crucified, that somebody said, hey, you're with them. And Jesus, and Peter was like, no, I'm not. And somebody else was like, hey, aren't you one of the disciples? And Peter was like, no way. I don't know the guy. And somebody was like, oh, you, you, you were with Jesus the other day. And he's like, I don't know what you're talking about. And Jesus told him, like, you're going to die me three times. And Peter did. Peter denied him three times in this space. And can you imagine that shame, right? Can you imagine that guilt? Can you imagine that in that moment, this, 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 these, you denied Jesus. <laughs> you were like, no, I don't know Jesus. And now Jesus is alive. And you're like, oh my gosh, does he know? Does he know what I did? He has to know he knows everything. And obviously he's like not dead anymore. So he's got some sort of superpowers going on. And like, <laughs> does he know? <laughs> Oh my gosh, what do I do? How do I talk to him? How do I engage with Jesus? Because I denied him three times. He said I was going to do it, and I did it. Now what do we do? And here in this scene, this is what this is about. This is the, the scene of the miraculous catch. And so what happens here is that Peter and the disciples are out fishing. They go back because like they're trying to make sense of life and doing what they do and trying to get back on with normal. And they go out fishing because that's what they do. And they're out there fishing. They fish all night and they don't catch anything. And then this guy's on the shore and he was like, hey guys out there, why don't you throw your nets to the other side? And they're like, we just did that. You know, we're a professional fisherman. We know what we are doing. And the guy on the shore was like, just do it anyway. Give it a try. And so they did. Then they caught all these fish and they were like, oh my God. That must be Jesus because superpowers. And and so, and then at that moment, they realize it's Jesus. And here they have this moment that Peter jumps off the boat. <laughs> it's like this Forrest Gump moment, right? Where um, you know, sewer and is like, jump off. And you could have just taken the boat back. But Peter jumps off. He's swimming back. And the boat beats him there. But anyway, Peter's very excited. This is Jesus. And then they sit down. They sit down. And they have a meal. So they said, Jesus says, hey, come and have some breakfast. None of the disciples asked, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. And Jesus came, took the bread, gave it to them, and did the same with the fish. There, this was now the third time that Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. Now this is a story I want us to zero in on. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to the Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? You see what's going on here? 
Jesus, Jesus, Peter denied Jesus three times, and now Jesus is asking him, do you love me? So Jesus is reinstating, reigniting, renewing. Jesus is forgiving Peter from this heavy weight that Peter had been carrying around. And so, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? Hurt because Peter knew what was happening. Peter knew that Jesus knew that this was connected to that. Do you love me? Jesus said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and you went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then Jesus said to Peter, follow me. This is word of God for us and all the people of God. Here in this space, in this place, Jesus is reinstating Peter. Peter obviously felt this weight, this shame, this pain. And now Jesus in the in this way of sort of like re reigniting, restoring the creation narrative. This, I believe, is connected to the first story that we read about Genesis, about hiding, about covering ourselves up. Maybe this is what Peter was doing, but Jesus reached into his life, into his heart in this moment, and gave him the opportunity to confess his love. He didn't say he didn't he didn't say to Peter, "All right Peter, I need a full confession. Are you sorry that you did that? I know that I know what happened, Peter. I know that you denied me. How dare you? But in my kindness, I will forgive you." Right? Like we do that with people sometimes, like when somebody hurts us and and we get really pouty about it and we're like, "I know what you did. You hurt me." Like, right? We do that to our kids sometimes. It's like who stole the cookie when we know who stole the cookie it was them and like but we want we have this feeling of like we want some to justify ourselves we want some benefit from this right and so we have to put even more shame on somebody but jesus doesn't do that here jesus just says hey y'all hungry come have some breakfast let's eat together peter do you love me yeah peter do you love me yes peter do you love me yes then follow me reinstating, recreating here Peter's heart, Peter's life. Jesus is not trying to change what happened. Jesus is not trying to alter the world that had already occurred. What Jesus is doing is taking what happened and restoring it, renewing it, giving it a new purpose, a new life. I think, um, you know, in psychology, I was... Um, reading some stuff, listening to podcast this week, and it was really good, and I wanted to share some of it with you. I think like three negatives that we do, and these are just things that we do. This We all do it because this is the way our brains are wired. We can't help it. We can't stop it. We can't avoid it. We do these three things. All of us do. You do. I do. You do. I do. Y'all out there, you do too. Like we all do it because that's the way that our human brain works. And so the three things that we do is first, like the three negatives. The first is avoidance. We seek to avoid things that may cause us danger or be negative experiences. When you face a negative experience, when you face a danger, your brain ignites and it says, no way, Jose. I, we're not going there. We're not going to do that. Uh-uh. You need to avoid that at all costs. So whatever you need to do, avoid. 
avoid, 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 avoid the danger. We do this avoidance of dealing with what needs to be dealt with, with our oftentimes, right? We get out of things that are hard internally. We begin to talk about how bad, like negative self-talk. We do this all the time, don't you? Don't you? All the time. Negative self-talk. Well, I can't do that thing. I'm not very good at that. I'm not enough. Oh, I failed last time. We do that. Or we get out. We, we also avoid by over-inflating ourselves. Well, I'm so great. I'm not even, I'm, I'm, I'm way too good to be doing that stuff. I'm, I, like, right? We, we avoid the things that we need to deal with all the time through so many mechanisms. But this is always avoiding the truth of what is in front of us. Like, right? We, we often avoid the truth. Hard. What I was talking about earlier. We avoid. Oftentimes we avoid through our anger. We avoid through our tears. We avoid through running away. We don't want to deal with the truth. This is what Adam and Eve did. They didn't want to deal with the truth that they had disobeyed God, that they probably felt so deeply hurt that they loved God, and now we did something wrong, and we feel so bad for it, and we don't want to. We, we want to avoid the truth. We want to get out away from it, and so we hid, and this is what we do, don't we? When we do something, we hide. We cover ourselves. Life is really hard, Peter. We don't always get it right. I'm sorry. It's okay. I love you. The second thing that we do is we seek comfort and pleasure all the time in whatever situation we are in. We seek comfort and pleasure. We want reward. We want situations that we are rewarded in. And if we are good at something and we have been previously rewarded with that, with doing that thing, we will do that again and again and again and again. In lots of ways, we're like puppies, right? Of like, ooh, I got a I got a dog biscuit by sitting, so I'm gonna sit. Dog biscuit, yeah, here's one. And and so like we we are trained in this way so many times to redo the things that we get reward and pleasure from, and we do those and we build our lives around them. But here's the thing about comfort and pleasure: they're great, they're good, but we don't grow in them. You don't grow in comfort and pleasure. You stay exactly where you are. We only grow when we're uncomfortable. We only grow when we are put in situations that this is not comfortable, this is not familiar, because comfort is familiar. Familiar is comfortable. That's what your brain is doing. I know what this situation is like. It's comfortable. Let's go. We're, we're okay with that. Wait, there's a forest up here ahead, and it looks dark in there, and I don't know what's in there. There could be goblins, so we're not going to go in there. So stay out of there at all costs. And your brain works and it dictates your body through actually your, your, your like biology, your physiology. Like you react, you do all sorts of things, whatever it is, not to go into an unknown situation. But the only way we're going to grow is to go into unknown situations. And so Peter, one day, one day, other people are going to dictate your life for you. One day you're going to go into really hard situations that you don't know the future, but Peter, follow me. Life is really hard. We don't always get it right. It's okay. I love you. 
The third thing that we do is attachment. We become attached to the things that are safe and the things that give us pleasure and comfort, and we begin to build our identity around those attachments, right? They can be people. They can be ideas. They can be careers. They can be jobs. They can be whatever it is. We build attachment, and oftentimes we become so bound up into the things that we are attached with and the people that we are attached to that we can't separate ourselves from them anymore. And if those things are taken from us in some life event, we feel like I, I, I don't even know who I am anymore. You felt like this, right? You've had something happen to you in life. You lost a job. You've, you've, you've lost somebody that you loved. You've, whatever it is. And, and you feel like not only the grief of losing that thing, that's legit, right? That, that is like we, we feel the grief of that thing. But oftentimes there's one step more that like we don't even know how to do life anymore because we built our life on this thing, this idea. We become so attached to this thing that we feel like we have nothing left when we lose that. It's a loss of ourselves, of our identity, a loss of our hope, a loss of us. We lose this when we feel attached. I love what the Buddhists say. Oftentimes, like this book, Anthony DeMello talks about, he wrote this book called um, Nightmare. I don't know what it's called, but it's basically about a nightmare. And he's like, we live in this nightmare because we're attached to all the things. And the only way to be free is to unattach ourselves to live a life of freedom where we aren't attached. We love things. We love people. We interact with things. We interact with people, but we are who we are. Life is really hard. We don't always get it right. I'm sorry. It's okay. I love you. I think through these things, we avoid the truth. We avoid the truth of who we are. We avoid the truth of who they are. We avoid the truth of hard conversations when we, when we oftentimes, we don't know how to express ourselves. We don't know how to express our pain. And I, I love this quote. You ready? You ready? I'm almost done. I'm almost done. Y- y'all ready for this quote? This, um, I don't know who this person is. Just, I was listening to this podcast and they said it and they were like, yes, this is great. He said, we waste so much energy trying to cover up who we are when beneath every attitude is the want to be loved and beneath every anger is, the, is a wound to be healed and beneath is a sadness the fear, and beneath the sadness, the fear that there will not be enough time. When we hesitate in being direct, we unknowingly slip something on, some added layer of protection that keeps us from feeling the world. And often that thin covering is a beginning of a loneliness which, if not put down, diminishes our chances for joy. It's like wearing gloves every time we touch something and then forgetting we put them on. We complain that nothing feels quite right in this way, our challenge each day is to not get dressed to face the world, but to unglove ourselves so that the door feels cold and the car handle feels wet and the kiss goodbye feels like the lips of another human being, soft and unrepeatable. Oh, we do that, don't we? We begin to put gloves on through these three mechanisms of avoidance and seeking pleasure and, and attachment. And then we don't even know what the world feels like anymore. We can't feel each other. We can't feel the situations. And when we, when we ask ourselves, what's going on? I, I, I don't, something's wrong. I don't know what it is. The, the, what's wrong is we've covered ourselves up. And we're not telling the truth about ourselves or about the world. 
We can't even have conversations about the truth or the world because we've got gloves on. And this happens in the church. Oh my gosh. It happens in the church all the time. Put on the full armor of God, right? Put on your breastplate of righteousness. You are fighting the enemy and put on your weapons and go out and fight that enemy. Go out and fight those who disagree with you. You are standing for Jesus Christ. Put on your full armor and go out to battle. But those who are armored can never be vulnerable. And those who are armored only are armored to attack. Maybe in some situations, in some really difficult situations, we do need that armor. But oftentimes, we need to take our armor off. We need to begin to take those pieces of armor off ourselves. And to say we stand before the world vulnerable and exposed We stand before the world asking the world to love us and telling the world that we love you. We stand before the world not trying to avoid, not being afraid, not fighting, not in a war, not in a battle. But we come saying, I've got some breakfast. You want to eat? It's really hard. It's okay. But yet we spend so much of our time, don't we, trying to dictate, trying to mold the world, the future, everything. And oftentimes we're just living in pain. I love this poem by Dana Falls. It says this, there is no controlling life. Try corralling a lightning bolt containing a tornado. Dam a stream and it will create a new channel. Resist the tide and it will sweep you off your feet. Allow, and grace will carry you to a higher ground. The only safety lies in letting it all in. The wild and the weak fear, fantasies, failures, and success. When loss rips the door of your heart, or sadness veils your vision with despair, practice becomes simply bearing the truth. In the choice to let go of your known way of being, the whole world is revealed to your new eyes. Today, how are you hiding? What are you hiding behind? What fig leaves have you sown for yourselves to hide you from the deep pain that you are experiencing and you don't want anybody to see it? You don't want God to see it? Maybe you've done something wrong or feel like you made a bad decision or said something to someone and you are hiding Deep within yourself, you have put fig leaves over your heart and you are no longer living in truth. You are no longer living in vulnerability. You have built an identity around a wall and you are hiding behind that wall of strength, of courage, of some identity, of your job, of your family. You don't even know who you are anymore. Today, Jesus is coming to our shores, to our everyday life. And Jesus is saying, come on back. I've got some food. Do you love me? Yeah, we do. Then follow me. Whatever you have done, whatever you have said, whatever bad decisions you have made, whatever ways that you have screwed up, whatever shame that you are bearing today, whatever someone else has told you about yourself today, Jesus is saying to you, 
Come to the table, my friends. Life is hard. We all make mistakes. None of us get it right all the time. It's okay. I love you. Follow me. Today, as we take communion, maybe there is some symbolic peace gesture that you can make as you get up from your seat. That you, maybe you can just take your fig leaves off. Take, put your leave your clothes on today. We're just talking metaphorically, right? Leave your clothes on. But if you have sown some fig leaves for yourself, if you are hiding in some way, maybe as you come to this table. You can see Jesus cooking fish here, inviting you to the seashore and asking you, do you love me? And you can respond, yes, I do, Lord. I love you. Come out of your hiding. Take your fig leaves off. God has open arms for you, no matter what. No matter what. Let's pray together. Lord God of heaven and earth, we give you thanks for your goodness that you see us exactly as we are and yet you still invite us to this table and say, come on, come on. I want to eat with you. I want to share a meal. And you give us the opportunity again and again to respond to your love by saying, yes, Lord, I love you. I love you. Here is my pain. Here is my brokenness. Here is my shame. Here are my fig leaves, God. The way that I've avoided, the way that I've just sought comfort and pleasure, the way that I've attached myself to the wrong things, God, here they are. I am yours. Change me, mold me, and I will follow you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.